Hey guys, if you want updates on our latest episodes, then be sure to subscribe to the Film Colossus podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, if you'd like to support the show and hear episodes ad-free, then subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmcolossus. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we discuss what was once considered the worst movie ever made, Showgirls. Of course, the film has had a cultural resurgence and earned cult status, and we couldn't be more thrilled. We dig into what makes this misunderstood classic so great. Hit the lights. (laughs) Hit the confetti. (laughs) It's one thing uh, we never do at the beginning of the show. Everyone hears us when we sign off and we say, cue the lights. We cue the lights at the beginning of the show as well. Oh yeah, always. There's always lights coming up because this is a this is a stage production. Yeah, this is a live show. We're we're showboys. <laughs> yeah, and we require everyone to stay completely silent during the show. And if we hear any noise, we have to stop the recording and start over. It's we're very precious about that. This is our sixth time talking about showgirls, but honestly, I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, it's you that keeps interrupting the show. Just to I know I can't help myself. How many times do you think you've watched Showgirls in your life? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I, I should have had this prepared. I, I should go back to the first time I watched it. I guess my guess is I watched Showgirls for the first time. It's probably later than you think. I'm going to say like 2012. Okay. Okay. That is. That is. Let's see. Yeah. November 9th, 2012. Three days after my birthday. Oh, huh. Wow, so I've never thought about that that uh pretty funny i i think i've mentioned on the show before but i this happened i think it was a tradition that started a few years ago maybe four years ago but my wife and i always watch showgirls on my birthday and i I say my wife and i because i'm very happy to watch showgirls by myself trust me but it's become a movie that i really like sharing with people and watching with other people um so i i think i will always watch it with her or whoever is within the vicinity and we'll sit through a movie like this on <laughs> my birthday um and I, it's funny to look back that i did it three days after my birthday in 2012 it, i'm maybe subconsciously i just like knew that it needed to be a birthday movie yeah it was just right there huh little did you know it would shape your future i've probably seen it if i watched it for the first time in 2012 I imagine I watch it once a year, so it's around 10 times. It's pretty good. Yeah. For some reason, I sometimes just picture you watching Showgirls on like a weekly basis. I do have it just like going sometimes, yeah, but that's not a real watch. (laughs) I did not expect that. (laughs) Like I was was saying it as kind of a joke, and I didn't expect a somewhat serious. Um, That's uh, that's good. It's always kind of... Showgirls is very much, I mean, we're getting into it already, but I guess one thing I'll say is like, 
Showgirls is always in the air, I feel like, around me. <laughs> my little den down here in the basement where I work. Because my mom bought me. My mom. My God. <laughs> my uh, my wife. She is a mom. I think that's <laughs> I call her mom a lot. So <laughs> I think that's why I said my mom. Uh, my wife bought me, which what is easily my favorite gift I've ever received. Um, it's a little like neon sign that mm -hmm. I put on my movie shelves and it says, and it lights up in big bright pink letters and it says bad movies only. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it's based on a shirt I have. Um, that one of my favorite musical artists, Kitty, she sold the shirt that says I like bad music only and I love wearing it and people looking at my shirt going, huh? Um, <laughs> and then sooner or later they learn, they, uh, get to know more about me and realize how true it is. And same comes yeah. to movies. I feel like I've gained a reputation as much as someone like me can have a reputation, a reputation of liking movies that are bad or seen as very bad by the general public. Uh, so I decided to start wearing it as a badge. Of honor. My wife encouraged me to wear it as a badge of honor and I've taken up that whole sense. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so how many times have you seen showgirls? This was number one. Yeah, this is right. my first time ever, <laughs> which I kind of felt bad about because no, I yeah. know you've how much like the movie was your number one for, I guess, not the whole time I've known you. Magnolia was initially your number one when we first started talking. Yeah, because I had not seen Showgirls yet. Yeah. And then quickly, you know, within like a year or so, Showgirls, was it your number one right away? Like as soon um, as you saw it, or did it take a number of years of rewatches? I, I knew we would get into this because we always do, and I was trying to trace my history with Showgirls, and I honestly don't know how quickly I became so attached to it. I don't think it was right away. Um, I think in those early days, well, by early days, I just mean like <laughs> in that region of like I was. I, I think about like my infatuation with movies which started in like 2006 and like i feel like each year i could go back and see like what i was really into that year um so at first i said it's all the classics you know like more of like the art house classics like citizen kane or whatever um and then like a lot of indie movies a lot of world cinema like going through a lot of weird phases but i think in this region is when i started watching paul verhoeven movies like if that can be a category like maybe like 90s movies like that or like Brian De Palma and stuff. Um, and I love, absolutely adore all of Verhoeven's like late 80s to 90s output, RoboCop, Total Recall, Starship Troopers, Basic Instinct. They're all incredible. And I knew about Showgirls. I, 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 I don't think I was in the phase yet of like, I need to like like shitty movies and like praise them and like pump them up. I was I was like starting to go into that territory. Maybe that was like a couple years after this. But I do remember at the time thinking like, wow, like this isn't like it wasn't my favorite movie ever. But like to me, it was just a Paul Verhoeven movie. <laughs> like to me, it just felt like Total Recall. Um, and I had no problem liking it. And the fact that everyone hated it probably made me like defend it a little bit. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it but it took a little bit. I think a few years later when I started getting into that mode and feeling the need to defend it, like feeling this movie was getting kicked down. It was such an underdog. Like I just formed this weird attachment to it. And maybe some of that coincided with myself and my growth that I've 
I think for a long time I felt like somebody who didn't have that didn't have a personality, but wasn't aware of like what my personality was <laughs> and maybe didn't have the confidence um, to defend a movie like this. And I, I feel like this movie coincided for that with that, like being somebody who can defend a movie like this and like do it well, you know, it's uh, I feel like it in that sense, it became such a part of me. And I just like started to, I just fell in love with this movie because of that. I mean, I, that makes sense to me. I think, especially in today's age <laughs> that we were talking earlier about the way uh, some people react to if you like or dislike a movie, just like an opinion on a movie, not just <laughs> you saying something is like good, bad, or other people are idiots for liking something, but just I didn't like this or I did like this. And how many people will try to turn that into a personal war yeah like that's crazy that's even crazier to me that like not liking something is one thing like if i don't like oppenheimer i know there's gonna be a bunch of get dudes mad at me on twitter but like if you like showgirl like why do you care if i like showgirls it's such a weird thing to get so indignant about i don't though i feel that way about spider-man 3 i just people <laughs> you do who feel like, that way <laughs> i do people who like it, i'm just like you i i, I think just, it's okay for the i don't yeah. i'm not like it's out of my top 10 yeah you're not you're not a champion of spider-man 3 i mean you might push uh, me to get there though i know i could i create my own worst enemy <laughs> uh finally you'll be my crystal connors <laughs> yeah it's uh mm. I, so i part of it is just like fun there's a little bit of wrestling to it to me about spider-man 3 just a little bit but i thought you meant showgirls and i was sitting here thinking like huh i guess i could see that no no uh my my over-the-top hatred of spider-man sure. 3 and annoyance at people who like it but I, there is something to where you can feel the need to conform especially when you're going into a movie like showgirls yeah. that has such a legendary reputation for being a in quotes bad movie mm. that there's almost this pressure to think yeah it's bad it's the same way with somebody with say oppenheimer might go into it and be like oh it's big and important and other people are saying it's one of the best movie i should like this movie right oppenheimer great but it's there's something powerful about reaching a point where you know enough about yourself, feel comfortable enough about yourself and feel comfortable voicing your opinion in front of others when you yeah. know it differs in that way. Totally. Uh, that's a big tipping point. Yeah. It's been weird in the age of the internet too, because like, I guess social media is where you do all that stuff. Like I don't, I don't hang out with a bunch of people, you know, like I had friends, but all, all the friends I hung out with, like would like a movie like showgirls. Like we would throw it on, get really drunk and like laugh at it, you know? Yeah. Which I do think is part of the power of this movie. Like I think, I think it's rare to have a movie like that. Even if like everyone, even if half the people in the room say like, well, this is like objectively terrible. Like the fact that you're like, laughing at it and like having so much fun with it in my mind means like if there's nothing terrible about that like that's a cool movie um <laughs> but it's but it is tougher just to like in the space of the internet to express that kind of thing and it, it, it's so easy for hordes of dudes on twitter to like just come defeat you come you know pound you to death to in the comment section and like drown out your voice and 
call you stupid for liking something that's um it, it it's part of the legacy of this movie though that it, it's just taken so long for people to come around on it and realize like what it was and what it was doing um and to embrace the energy of, i mean i don't think that's a commonly held opinion necessarily like, i think it's still widely known as like a bad movie in quotes but i think we're also starting to get to a point where especially with this kind of 90s revival that's happening like recognizing the ironic nature of the movie like the kind of ton that's in its cheek and everything and embracing the kind of movie it is like it's it i'm looking here on google showgirl you know how google will list like the the genre for a movie on there yeah yeah. um it says and it'll be like you know it'll say comedy slash romance there's always like a slash showgirls is drama slash drama (laughs) which i think is like the perfect way to describe this movie like (laughs) it's just a completely absurd melodrama that doesn't feel like any other movie ever. And I think because of that, I think people are just starting to realize what it was and, and embrace it a little bit. Well, it's it's strange to me. So, okay, this is my first time watching it, right? Yeah, I, I guess we should get into this. You, you are, you're a virgin when it comes to this movie. I, I am very much a showgirl's virgin. And I remember seeing the the case when i would go to the video store not as like a little kid because this came out well i was eight when this came out um so it wouldn't have hit vhs until (laughs) like i was about nine but i remember this the cover for this and the cover for strip tease being like near each other in the video store um and then always kind of just being like what is that and I don't remember when I really realized it was a, a Verhoeven movie. I think at a certain point in college, you know, you start looking up worst movies ever, that kind of thing, uh, especially as you're doing best movies ever and yeah. me seeing showgirls on there. But I liked RoboCop already. I liked Total Recall already and Starship Troopers. I still haven't seen Basic Instinct or I've seen parts Hollow of Man? hollow man i did <laughs> well he's Which, hard to see because he's invisible yeah I, the parts of hollow man that i watched i maybe i saw it in high school oh geez i'm now i can't remember it's the kind but, of movie where like there are certain scenes from it where you, you look at it and you're like oh i think that was on tv once yeah i've definitely i definitely have memories of it but i feel like i want to say i've never watched it but I didn't like what I watched. <laughs> so it's always it's always funny to me that it's a Verhoeven movie because it's it not as seems, good. It seems a lot more like a Yui Ball movie <laughs> to me than a Verhoeven movie. Um, but I, I think that's always what's made Verhoeven interesting is that the line between him and Ball isn't <sighs> tremendous. I know what uh, you mean because like the movies are so like robust like they're just so a little chaotic yeah they're chaotic and there's times where he's so intentional in putting in uh, for lack of a better phrasing like taking the piss Hmm. out of cinema and purposefully making something schlocky yeah but doing so in a masterful way like there is in a craftsmanship to his movies that Ball just 
has no concept of. Absolutely. And so it's it's like they're similar in a sense, but one's done knowing exactly why it's doing it, and the other's done because that's just all that man's capable of. <laughs> uh, so it's there's like a huge difference because RoboCop, Total Recall, Starship Troopers to me are all, I think, astounding movies. Um, and then Showgirls, I think, is also astounding. Uh, I, I thought it was awesome. Um, love to hear it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. But it is so ridiculous. And that's what kind of surprises me is that people having watched RoboCop and Total Recall and I haven't seen Basic Instinct, but I imagine it's similar. It's a little more toned down, but like it's it's basically a film noir on crack, you know? Yeah, there's still that that Verhovenness to it, right? Where totally. it goes a little over the top. Totally. Um so I just it amazing to me how seriously people took showgirls and also how seriously people took Starship Troopers. Because you would yeah. think at that point people <laughs> would get the joke. Like they, they would, knew about the even, satire of the first two movies. Yeah. How do you not read satire? <laughs> how do you not put that together? That's why. And just think that the movie is being as genuine as possible when they're having sex in the pool it's and crazy. she's just like lean back with the geyser gushing on her and flopping around in the water like so you have sex that's how i tried to have sex the first time. <laughs> <laughs> oh i've been doing it wrong <laughs> like that's i or i've been doing it right i it's just there's so many over-the-top moments. The fact that if you did a drinking game where you drank every time she turned and stormed out of her room, you would go to the hospital. I love it. Because so many scenes are just her being like, how dare you? Yeah. Good day. And just <laughs> you, you said one thing that insulted me. Goodbye. Yeah. Just <laughs> a barely even an insult kind of thing. You just kind of questioned yeah. something. Now I'm going to overreact. There's just such a a live wire over the topness about everything while still making a point about Hollywood and in the entertainment industry uh -huh. itself as a whole. I'm amazed that people don't appreciate the grandeur that's in this movie. Yeah. And some of the performances. <clears throat> like, I honestly think Elizabeth Berkeley like, crushes this movie. I'm just sitting here nodding. I'm letting you go. What like what an amazing performance by her. I I love I mean I I love it. I, in in one sense 
you it, you almost know why Paul Verhoeven picked her because she's from Saved by the Bell. Oh yeah, and it's such, and her names like they make the Pollyanna joke early on. You find out her name's Pollyanna, and it's this play on this dewy-eyed, optimistic girl. Like it's so the character she was to so many people, and then for Verhoeven to just completely shit on that, be like, no, like you're going to inhabit this woman who feels the need to like she thinks the only way she can make it in Hollywood and in Las Vegas and you know in in entertainment is to embody this like this completely just really um, an insane figure like somebody who's just so fucking set on something and will do anything to get there and believes in themselves so much like she, she but at the same time, like a very troubled person, somebody who's really rough around the edges, somebody who thinks they have it figured out, but has no idea what they're doing. Like, it's such an incredible approach to a character like this when I think typically this kind of character is a little more um, like open, maybe, you know, like, like doesn't know much and is like learning and like opening themselves up and learning more like there's nothing open about Nomi. She is completely closed off. She's constantly starting fights with people around her. There's constant power dynamics happening. She's somebody who, by her very nature, pushes people away. Like, that's an insane role for someone to take on, period. Especially someone like Elizabeth Berkeley, who's known for something so different. It's, um, I completely agree with you. She, she owns this role in a very campy it's very campy, like a lot of people in this movie, yet kind of like tender and sad. And like, you, I, you, I I, think anyway, you just constantly feel for her. Yeah, 1000%. She is so torn apart and taken advantage of yeah. by everybody, <laughs> like every single person. And except, except Molly. <laughs> like, Good old Molly. So wonderful. Oh my God. Pa- Nomi and... Molly's friendship for a movie that's so crazy and like so ironic and satiric and everything like they have a genuine friendship that like that opening scene where Molly finds Nomi and like Nomi's freaking out and like hitting her car and then like they just stop and Nomi falls into her arms and they cry like I cry every time I see it like I just love their friendship so much oh yeah it's fantastic they sell it well they're like fun i could have just watched the movie like swingers but them just having fun in las vegas <laughs> that that would have been great um yeah it's she's so taken advantage of by every single person and with that being commentary on the entertainment industry also i'm reading a little bit about the uh the esther house the the guy who wrote the the screenplay, Joe Esterhouse. <laughs> and it's it's funny. He scribbled an idea on a napkin while having lunch with... Uh, or no, I don't think it was while with Verhoeven, but he wrote the idea on the napkin and then hmm. Verhoeven liked it enough to <laughs> have him turn it into a script. Um, and it made him the highest paid screenwriter in Hollywood history. Fuck yeah, it did. Um... Which is kind of crazy, yeah, but he had also done the scripts for Basic Basic Instinct, and uh, um, and Sliver. Like the guy knew how to, like he he seemed perfect for that kind of movie. You know, that's a little ironic, a little satiric. 
Yeah, a very erotic. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Eroticism is also a component of all three of those movies. Yeah, uh, but it's just funny to think about uh, how this movie, this story is something that we've seen told so many times. We talked about totally. it in terms of Mulholland Drive, La La Land, Babylon, <laughs> a number of the movies we've talked about on the podcast so far. Yeah, I know. Have have all been this topic about how demoralizing the entertainment industry is and having this dream of going in and making it and what that dream turns into and how often it becomes some form of nightmare. Mm. Um actually the end of this reminded me a lot of Perfect Blue. Uh, which Ooh. is another movie about the entertainment That's industry. That's right, yeah. And perception Both. and how like how you find fulfillment and f- make it about yourself, like finding your own little path and making entertainment fulfilling in like your own way and not the way you're told to. Yeah, right. Uh, what's a uh, what's the last line in Perfect Blue? Um, I'm me. It's it's something like that where she looks in the mirror and like she basically says like I'm fine, like I'm yeah, like I'm me again. Yeah, she because she was having this identity crisis, and then she essentially finds herself, finds who she is, uh, good old Mima. Yep. And so she has she ends in this car saying who she is, and in Showgirls you have her in the car, and they're like, "What'd you win? Me, myself." Yeah, it's um. It's great. Although I, I, sometimes I do wonder about that ending. I mean, we're jumping to the ending, I guess. But because at the beginning of the movie, she meets up with that same guy, which is a fucking hilarious and pro move on Verhoeven's part. Or I guess the screenwriter's part as well. Um, to like open up with this dude who's like kind of scummy and takes advantage of her. And then like to have it end with her jumping in the same car. Like the movie's really funny in that way. Like there's a lot of funny moments. Um, but also... Um, what was what were we talking about? <laughs> I just started reflecting on Jeff. <laughs> uh, I guess people taking advantage of her. Perfect yeah. blue. The ending. Um, the ending. Yeah, just the ending. I don't remember where I was going to go with it, but uh, I'll I'll just shout it out the second I think of it. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> uh, oh, here I know what I was going to say because at, at the beginning she's like when he's like, oh, are you gonna? do you plan the win? And she goes, Oh, I'll win. Like she's so confident. And at the end he asked her like if she won and she basically says like, yeah, I did. And I, I wonder in some sense, like if that was meant to be again, ironic, like she thinks she won in a, like she did win in the sense that she overcame a lot. She did discover who she was, blah, blah, blah. But she also didn't really win. Like she got completely burned by the business. Like she didn't make a name for herself. I don't know. There's just something to it that the whole movie feels damning, like really, really damning of Hollywood in a way. Like there's really no redemption for it, you know? Yeah, that's true. There, I mean, with Verhoeven being so satire driven, mm. you have to question Everything. the authenticity of that, <laughs> of that ending and the seriousness of it because you're right she she had had a hard life up to that point she got to experience a lot of in quotes wonderful things 
at the end, mm. which had to have just been less than a week. Right. That she was with uh, Zach and the star of Goddess. Yeah. I don't think it had to have been all that much time, right? I think they maybe did one performance. <laughs> yeah, that was it. It was just the one performance. Uh, but at the end of that, you look what happened to Molly. Yeah, You get revenge for what happened to Molly, but Molly's what is that still... Revenge? Yeah, Molly's still in a bad way. She's not going to have anybody to take care of her because you're leaving and what's going to happen like where do you go next even though she says she found herself is she going to be able to go do something somewhere else it's it leaves open a lot of kind of is the glass half full or is the glass mostly empty <laughs> yeah kind of questions and they set it up a little bit earlier with james and james kind of representing the the cautious tale or foreshadowing a little bit mm -hmm. where he's this true dancer uh he had danced in the alvin ailey or been trained by alvin ailey and uh was trying to put on this serious artistic performance in vegas where it's <laughs> <laughs> so not seriously artistic and gets booed off the stage and just immediately is okay giving up his dream and says that he's going to go work in a grocery store that hopes mom owns the grocery store and that's that and you can see the disappointments that nomi has yeah uh with that like you're just going to give up how can you just give up and at the end she's making kind of a similar choice right of she's done with showbiz she's done at least with that arena of dancing but given her record and background you have to wonder if she's going to be able to overcome it especially with what happened to we don't know the fallout with andrew carver yeah right yeah so yeah I, I guess uh the movie feels a little contained in that way that you're really just seeing you almost don't even you would never find out what happens to Nomi before or after this movie like you get everything you need here and like the effects she had in that moment it's all just part of the commentary about Hollywood about America and all that about entertainment it, it in that way um these the last few times I've watched showgirls it's very much reminded me of a western and what a western does um oh, yeah. where someone rides into town like i literally watched a western last night um called buchanan rides alone and it's literally a story where a dude rides into town stumbles upon a really crazy situation where like the the brothers of the town run everything um with reckless abandon like they just get what they want they steal money they they hang people they don't like you know and there are these revolutionaries there who are trying to like fighting back and um, trying to claim their land and all that. Um, it, every Western kind of works like that, where the person who comes into town and stumbles upon something that's like, oh, what is this? Look at these things. Like, it's all just like reflections of America and these little pockets of America where th this mentality survives and you rebel against it. That's what Showgirls really is. And, you know, Nomi gets there and like any Western, like she has standoffs with people, you know, there are power dynamics between so many people. They're constantly like strutting their stuff and like trying to one up each other. 
Um, so in that sense, it's uh, it, it to me it works as that kind of contained experience where I guess you could have. Uh, trust me, I would love it to see Nomi wander into other towns, and go to LA, <laughs> and do her thing. Um, yeah. But it's just so cool to watch it with that framework and to think that she just kind of comes in and like everything that happens is just a reflection of Hollywood and what it's like. And it, we know Verhoeven has a pretty, pretty negative. I guess I don't know if it's negative, but he, he reminds me of David Lynch in the way that he's very hard hitting. Like he's not afraid to really take Hollywood to task and show like all the ugliness of it um, in order to kind of find the, the pockets of beauty and the kind of fulfillment you could get from it um, if it weren't for the overwhelming shit that it was. <laughs> Which, yeah, there was a, a lot of shit there. Yep. Yeah, it's... On the on the metaphorical level, just representing what it represents, the way in which somebody kind of goes in and suffers through this thing yes. and tries to come out on the other side and escaping is half the battle in some mm-hmm. ways yeah but i the journey is fascinating to me because i honestly feel like people don't talk enough about the influence of this movie on something like black swan i mean, sure having not watched showgirls before <laughs> yeah i couldn't make that comparison but it's kind of very similarly I mean, we talked about Black Swan and Perfect Blue being I- very identical movies. Uh-huh. Uh, just more so in what happens to the character or the way in which they have their their break with there being really specific call-outs like Mima and Perfect Blue, Nina and Black Swan. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, seeing reflections of your other self in train windows and... Uh, the duality aspects that come into play, but the plot to Black Swan is very much showgirls to where uh, Nomi starts off as this understudy or like just a girl in the chorus line, but she has aspirations of being the star the same way that Nina in Black Swan has aspirations of being uh, the swan in the production and the lead ballerina and they eventually get what they want and have their big performance and it's successful, but there's this horrible cost to it all. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hmm. Yeah. So I, now I'm going to think about that for a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, the rest of my life. I, I think that's one thing I really love about Showgirls is what it's influenced by. Like, like it, it was, um, it won several raspberries. It was nominated for many more. Um, and it won Best Picture, or it won Worst Picture. Um, and Paul Verhoeven won Worst Director. But it was, I, I noticed this, and it was nominated for Worst Remake or Sequel, which as far as I know, it's not a remake or a sequel of anything. Um, but they mentioned all about Eve and how it's a lot 
like all about Eve. And I think that's kind of a key to showgirls, especially as I watch more and more older movies, like how much the movie is such a modern and satiric update of like the diva in Hollywood kind of movie. Um, and how it, it was so commonplace, I think, for movies to have a protagonist like this, just this really big blown up woman with a huge ego who demands this and needs that and anybody in her way on her way to the top is like gonna get burned this movie takes it to such an nth level like to such an absurd level and it becomes part of its personality and its aesthetic and everything in that way that i feel like probably hadn't been done you know between like the 70s and 1995 all that often that would be my guess um (laughs) And since then, I feel like has I feel like you can see that a little bit more in modern movies. I mean, you mentioned Black Swan, um, but it, I feel like that kind of character has erupted a little bit more, and it, it does make me wonder, like, if Showgirls had something to do with that. Like, even though Showgirls wasn't loved, like that character became kind of well known. Like, knowing the kind of character Nomi is, and just the way Elizabeth Berkeley is just how angry she is and how upset she gets at people and how deeply she wants something like it, it's just so cool to like to make a character like that and to think about like oh like yeah did that did that influence hollywood yeah like how how so. much how much impact did this have because even if audiences didn't like it you know people were watching yeah. verhoven that many people within Hollywood were very inspired by what he was doing in his films. And Joe Esterhaus, even after (laughs) Showgirls didn't do well, made so much money that their two his next two movies, Jade, which I have no idea what the god is. You I love Jade. It's a it's an erotic thriller. Of course. (laughs) Uh and then One Night Stand. I don't know that uh, one. I'm guessing another erotic thriller. It has Wesley Snipes. But Ooh, I will he got, be watching he it. Got, <laughs> he got paid $1.5 million for the two-page outline for Jade. <laughs> and he got paid $2.5 million for a four-page outline for One Night Stand. <laughs> My guess is neither of those movies did well, but okay. No, it says One Night Stand got changed so much that they took his name off of it. Uh, yeah, the budget was $23 million and it made two point six in the box office. Oof. Jade, uh, Jade had that dude from, um, it was like the movie he tried to go from TV actor to movie actor. Um, David Caruso. David Caruso. <laughs> yeah, Man, that NYPD movie is Blue. crazy. Um, yeah, that also did not do well. $50 million budget, 9.9 million oh, box $50 million dollars for that movie? Oh my God. I, I yeah. like it, but that's unforgivable. Yeah, so he got paid like bank. So, I think there probably is something to the impact of Showgirls that even if it's something that the general public hasn't necessarily liked or connected with, yeah. given the influence of both Esterhaus and Verhoeven, <laughs> I imagine it's something that people were paying attention to and interested in and that I could imagine a lot of film people still really liking because that's one of the most impressive things about showgirls is even if you're rolling your eyes constantly at how like hair trigger Nomi's uh, responses are to everyone and everything. Mm. 
the movie is so fascinating to watch because the camera work is so good the the shot selection is dynamic all the time every scene feels kind of fresh and unique it doesn't fall into visual apathy it's which is one of the things i love about verhoeven movies i mean it it's such a tremendous accomplishment to me like compared to something like total recall i mean total recall is incredible it has so many like cool sets and everything but that kind of movie like it's sci-fi same with the RoboCop, um, same with Starship Troopers. I guess uh, Basic Instinct's a little different, but it's, it has a film noir look. Like, it's such a stylish and flamboyant movie with its shadows and everything. Showgirls, I mean, I was looking at the extras on the Showgirls. I finally got to watch this movie in 4K UHD, by the way. I forgot to mention that. It was my first birthday of watching it in 4K, and it was absolutely lovely. And all of the extras on the disc are just with, like, technical people who worked on the movie like someone who did the lighting you know something like that and it really is just like the movie is a little bit unbelievable and how it handles all of those technical aspects just all of the crazy stuff going on i mean they're in vegas so like it's it's lit up and everything like it is crazy but to film it so masterfully to have it not appear too chaotic but like be part of of the movie and what's going on and how chaotic it already is anyway so like it feels of one i'm just i'm always blown away by it like the scenes where nomi goes to the goddess show and is watching i i look at everything that's happening and i thought like how did anyone pull this off (laughs) and how is anyone looking at a scene like this and thinking like it's bad Uh, it's (laughs) Uh, to me it's like citizen kane level beautiful like i i just can't believe someone accomplished it I mean, the whole movie, the fact that Vegas feels so alive, (laughs) how did they film this movie? (laughs) Yeah. If you think about other Vegas movies, I think we joked about like, not round, well, rounders is, yeah, yeah. Um, But like so many movies like that, like it is kind of just like there. It's almost like Vegas makes it a little easy in that any shot where Vegas is in the background or whatever, like it's A, pretty, but B, like it's part of the movie and doesn't necessarily need to be front and center and a part of like the, the air and tone and, and momentum, but like showgirls, it's constantly part of the, the, this movie has more momentum than it it just constantly moves. Like there's not a scene where something isn't happening and is pushing the story forward. And there's like some battle going on between two people. Like in Vegas is just like always there. Like I, I think about the scene where crystal and Nomi, Crystal's helping Nomi work on her turns or whatever. Um, And all they do is go out to lunch and talk about doggy chow. But when they come back, (laughs) like that whole scene, the way it's lit, the way the stage is behind them, like I am just like, I'm blown away by it. It, it, That kind of scene makes me tear up because I can't believe how beautiful someone shot it. It's, I mean, I'm just, (laughs) I'm struggling for words into the fact that we've talked a number of episodes about you've mentioned aesthetic or wanting a movie to pull you in or the energy of a movie and some things just not Mm -hmm. having it. And I think this is a really good example of whether you like what's going on or not (laughs) in showgirls. (laughs) I think that there's a power to the atmosphere it creates and sucking you into its world just through the camera work of 
the settings feeling so alive with all of the extras, all of the lights, all the sounds, but giving us a number of long shots. And by that, I mean wide shots. Yeah. Um, I was I was taught that you call those long shots, <laughs> but we now have long takes becoming so popular yeah, right. that I feel like so many people confuse long shots with long takes when they're two different things. Yeah. Um, but you have a pretty wide frame for a lot of the movie, which is demanding. Yeah. I think a lot of films, especially a lot of modern films, rely a lot on close up and medium close up because they don't want to take the time that they'd need to get everything to feel so alive in the frame. But that's one of the things that makes Boogie Nights so powerful. It's one of the things that makes this so powerful. Mm. Godfather, like so many of these 70s, 80s, 90s movies that a lot of us revere to this day Mm -hmm. and why I think there's such a difference in feel between them and some of the movies that we get now is because of the the willingness to go that extra mile to make things feel immersive in that way that you don't quite get the same of when it's CGI, green screen, or these movies where the shot selection is purposefully limited yeah. in order to keep budgets smaller. Yeah. Yeah, that is really interesting. It's it makes me think like there's maybe more of a focus on character and like highlighting an actress performance and the way they inhabit somebody and like just being with this person to where like I think you're talking about all these auteurs working in, within the Hollywood system, Coppola and, and De Palma was doing it and Lynch was doing it and Verhoeven was doing it. And there is a big focus, I think, on those kinds of people. Like th- they are very character forward. Like as I'm saying all these things about modern movies, focusing on character. Like I think Showgirls does all that stuff. Like we learn about all these yeah. people in such wonderful ways. But there is a sort of like mythical quality to their movies where you are constantly taking in the setting and gaining your footing like where you are and how they're maneuvering within this world that's being created that does feel something that's a little bit of the past like even though i don't like midsummer as we talked about the last episode like that movie does does that at the very least where like it's really trying to like bring you into a world and then have characters maneuver within it um but i think you're right that seems to be less and less of a priority like the the importance of that wide shot and like bringing you into the world and everything. I mean, I'm even thinking about Black Swan, which is a movie both of us really like, yeah. but it's so <laughs> limited in that way. Yeah. Uh, right. You're really just in the studio with a few people or at Nina's apartment with her mom. You never really get a sense of New York. You don't really get a sense of performance in front of a crowd where you just think of, as you're saying, the first goddess show that Nina watches (laughs) or even everybody backstage getting ready and going to put on the production. There's so much that's impressive about this film, just from the visual perspective, the story aside, cliches aside, theatrics aside. I don't understand how people don't say this is one of the best films of 1995 much less one of the worst films ever made (laughs) and i and again i think this is a big part of why i've become so attached to the movie um it is one of my number ones i feel like i've gotten to the point where i can't say a movie's number one anymore like i have different number ones for different reasons like showgirls is one of my number ones 
Um, and I think that's a, a big part of it is, I don't know if we've ever talked about this in the show before. I feel like this is more of like a Chris Travis Jordan conversation that's happened a lot. Jordan's one of our movie buddies. Um, the whole, like, it, can a movie be called like the best, you know, is, or is like a favorite can a favorite movie be the best movie or is there just like movies that are the best? I think one of the reasons I've really rebelled against that mentality and <laughs> their idea of anything being the best is because that also means there is an objective way to look at the worst. Um, and I find it really like it's maybe the most reductive way to think about movies to think like something like is unforgivably and objectively bad because we're sitting here talking about showgirls and all the ways it succeeds which means all the reasons it fails according to the general republic general public is like to me are kind of inane reasons like because like it features showgirls i guess because elizabeth berkeley is in it acting campy um like we're not allowed to like a movie that tries this hard. Like I, these are all to me boring reasons for why Showgirls doesn't work. I don't know what causes people to like have such an adverse reaction to something like this, especially when like in my mind, like the reason we go to the movies is to experience something so different and transcendent. Like tra transcendent doesn't even necessarily have to mean like oh wow it's so uplifting, but like transcendent of like you don't see this, you know, this is above like what you expect from a movie. It kind of goes to this extra level. So in that sense, I'm not sure, really sure why people feel so emboldened, <laughs> why they find it so necessary to look at showgirls and deem it bad. Like it's uh it's an odd part of society. Yeah. I, it's, I'm reading the Wikipedia section for reception <laughs> and it's funny how many of them almost get the point and then don't. So like the first one uh, is from Kenneth Turan of the Los Angeles Times. And he wrote, uh, the film has somehow managed to make extensive nudity exquisitely boring or exquisitely boring. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah I mean, that's kind of part of it. Yeah. And descends into incoherent tedium. Though the filmmaker's incessant talk about vision, artistry, and honest self-expression lead one to expect a sexually explicit biopic about the Dalai Lama, what is in fact provided is depressing and disappointing as well as dehumanizing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's the commentary. Yeah, like, exactly. That's so stupid. I feel like, like that's that's the problem with a lot of criticism is, and honestly, it's almost no fault of their own. You know, you, you watch a movie and then you're expected to walk into the office an hour later and write a review of it. <laughs> like you have no time to process what it's doing. You have to have kind of give this knee jerk reaction. And in that way, Showgirls kind of makes it easy for you to have a knee jerk reaction. Like it, it lays itself thin in front of you. It tells you what it is. Um, yet like there is depth to it and you have to think about like the dynamics, but like the, the image of it is so easy to like form a story around that. I think it just took a long time for people to get over the knee-jerk reaction to it. Yeah, which I have they ever? Are people coming around? It's, you know, it's become a cult film. It is beloved in that way. I I, abs I love this on, on Letterboxd, the page for Showgirls. Um, the rating for Showgirls, usually the rating, um, what would you call it, like the curve? Um, yeah, it starts curve. it starts low at the top, then like goes up. There's a light curve, and then it goes 
um, down again at the bottom. For Showgirls, it's all over the place. Like there are <laughs> as many five star reviews for it as one star reviews for it. Like it's it like it's a it's a curve that goes up and down the entire way through. Like it makes no sense. It's chaotic. It's nonsensical, and I think that kind of captures the general feel about this movie. Is that it? I think a lot of people are still caught in the like it, movies aren't allowed to do this, so we must hate it. And on the other end, like I can't believe a movie did this. I have to love it. Uh, like it, it, it kind of like transcends like normal movie taste in that way because like it's so not a normal movie <laughs> that our reaction to it is just like always going to be like that that weird bell curve. Yeah, and it's that movie. <laughs> I'm sure that there's a few from uh, like Kubrick that would be like that as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a sign of the cult film. <sighs> it's it's. That had me thinking, so I had you read it in the past, but I'm a fan of Robert Kolker, who's a film historian yeah. and scholar, and he has a book called Cinema of Loneliness, but he also has one called uh, Film, Form, and Culture that I started reading, mm. and there's a section in there in the intro, because I just started reading it, but he talks about the current state of film when this was written in 2006. And he says, the first thing about any uh, that any reviewer does is talk about the film's plot. Charlie Kane is an unhappy newspaper man. His wife leaves him and he loses all his friends. 2001 opens with a number of shots of animals out in the desert. Then one tribe of apes attacks another. Until in the middle of the night, one discovers a strange monolith in the middle of their cap- camp. There isn't much dialogue, but the apes look real enough. <laughs> uh, what film reviews almost always evade is one of the few realities of film itself that it is an artificial construct, something made in a particular way for specific purposes, and that the plot or story of a film is a function of this construction, not necessarily its first principle. In other words, and as we'll see in more detail as we go along, the formal elements of a film uh, are unique to film, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just that idea that people mistake plot for the the end-all, be-all right. of analyzing a film or reviewing a film where that's exactly what Turan did here and failed to understand that the depressing, disappointing, and dehumanizing <laughs> aspects are there for a reason because it's saying something. It, they're not there by accident yeah. as a, a failed <laughs> attempt to tell the story. That's the emotion that they're trying to elicit. Uh, yeah, that's... Um, I, so in that sense, like, it's like a battle not really worth fighting like it's just this kind of dumb part of society that's always existed that like you have to have that knee-jerk reaction where you you don't really think about a movie before you write about it which is like bizarre but it, it's to- it's always been a part of movies um and maybe in that sense that's been a, a huge positive of the internet and like people being able to um, gather in groups and share love for a movie like this and like you're able to discover like what's cool about it and that other people like this thing that you're not supposed to like you know it's um, time has allowed this movie to like gain an audience and have an image other than the one that was created for it back in the 90s yeah I it'll be curious to see how far it comes what shocked me to read was like Kyle McLaughlin did not like it. He yeah, thought it was horrible. Of course. 
Um, I, though he did say that it has and it has a whole other life as sort of an inadvertent satire, and then said no satire isn't the right word, but it's inadvertently funny. Huh. It's interesting to hear that somebody that was working on it didn't think it was satire, right? When I mean it reeks of satire to me, but uh, <laughs> and then Esterhouse said clearly we made mistakes. Yeah. Clearly it was one of the biggest failures of our time. It failed commercially, critically. It failed on videotape. It failed internationally. In retrospect, part of that was that Paul and I were coming off of Basic, which defied the critics and was a huge success. Maybe there was a certain hubris. We can do what we want to do and uh-huh. go as far out there as we want. And then he says that the rape scene was a god-awful mistake. In retrospect, a terrible mistake. And musically, it was eminently forgettable. And in casting, mistakes were made. Um, casting seemed fine to me. But yeah, the rape scene was like shockingly intense. It's Every um, time we watch that movie, it's probably the only... There's one other, actually, the... The Requiem for a Dream scene at the end with Jennifer Connelly's one of these scenes. But oh, yeah. she, Lauren just won't watch it. She's like, I'm going to close my eyes and just let me know when it's over. And like, yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. Yeah, I had I didn't see that uh, being in the in the cards, which I get that they'd probably make an argument at the time that Molly represents the innocence of it all. Uh, even with how far Nomi's going, Molly's kind of the the heart of it, the conscious of it, the moral fiber in the film, the one person that's not like out to do wrong. And then here she finally gives in to what Nomi presses her presses or yeah pressures her to do or convinces her to do. And Nomi thinks that she's paying Molly back. And it's like this whole system just devours molly yeah and she's like the true casualty of it she survives but i mean it's so brutal and i could see them making the argument that you you want something there that's going to be the cost of it all or the gut punch but there's probably definitely better ways of going about it i think you're right like as i have especially given Lauren's reaction to it, I have thought about that whole narrative over the years. And you're right. That's the point. Like the whole movie, there are people in two camps. There are people who are sitting on one side of entertainment. So I'm like, yeah, come in. Yeah, it's awesome. And then there are people like constantly trying to caution her, be Molly, whether it be James, who it's like, you don't want to do that. Like that's selling out. Come do like real art, you know? Um, So I guess this is their way of making Molly this character, like this example like showing Nomi like uh, like you know you got too close to the sun kind of thing and like this is going to be the follow-up out of it um, and it ultimately becomes like her test like hey like if you just let this shitty thing happen to your friend like it's kind of like the crossroad for her like you can be a superstar like all you have to do is like push this under the rug like let her have her shop and like you're going to be a huge star um, so like I that is ultimately why this all happens like Nomi decides, like, no, like, some things are more important than that, and she kicks Andrew Carver's ass. Um, but you do have to wonder, like, is there another way to do that? <laughs> like, yeah. that whole, like, crossroads, you know, it's... Uh, it is a weird part of this movie. It feels very 90s, I guess, like, th- that a movie would go to these lengths, and as um, 
the writer described, Esterhaus described, like they probably did have a lot of confidence and ego about doing a scene like that and feeling like they could get away with it. I don't know. It's definitely a weird part of this movie. Yeah. I uh, I saw the awards list and that people kept nominating Kyle MacLachlan for worst actor. Oh, gosh. He's wonderful. He's fine. He's wonderful. Yeah, he's, he plays the he's best compl- douchebag I've ever seen. He's completely fine in this movie. Like, nobody gave a bad performance. Like, Elizabeth oh. Berkeley did not give a bad performance in this movie. And the fact that this tanked her entire career is so insanely stupid to me. It It's... It's almost like the movie, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way. <laughs> like the movie's a satire of how stupid Hollywood is and what we want from people. And we burn Elizabeth Berkley for doing it. Yeah. She didn't deserve any of that in the aftermath of this. Oh, man. It, it's yeah. She embodied her character of just the fierceness, how she should play it. It's not her fault that so many scenes are like, turn and storm out of the room. <laughs> like, yeah. But she does it well every single time. And I never felt like a false beat from her, a lack of confidence. It felt the tone of the movie. It felt in line with the tone of the movie. It's just really stupid that people uh, missed the point And then not only that, doubled down and took yeah. it out on her. Yeah. The, like, the- you're you're bad. No, you're dumb. <laughs> like, you, you didn't get it. And now you're feeling entitled and demeaning to others because you think you're smarter than that yeah. when you're actually the one that was wrong that that's definitely a part of it is like it, which i suspect only got worse over time um as people like started to like kind of appreciate this movie and what it was doing like you double down on why you think it's so stupid you're not allowed to like come around and be like oh yeah i guess it was like showgirls is so over the top and so what it is that if you ever back off a little bit and admit that like oh it was trying to do something like then you have to admit everything it's doing <laughs> is purposely done <laughs> like yeah of course it, the movie was being satiric and like that explains why elizabeth Berkeley was acting like this so like she wasn't bad so people just double down and like will forever say it's terrible yeah roger ebert said that it contained <laughs> no true eroticism <laughs> man that's one thing i really love about this movie is it was like a little that's it like there's no eroticism is it like sex was viewed as a certain way nudity was supposed to be used a certain way like the movie kind of uses movie the movie uses nudity in a kind of gratuitous way almost like because these people are being propped up because we're like looking at them it it fits a nomi's whole storyline of she doesn't want to be a whore, you know. She she's somebody who sold her body in the past and she's trying to like work past that and not make it part of her character. Yet that is constantly being pushed as like, no, that's who you are. Like you sell your body. And the movie presents people's bodies in that way. It's not supposed to be sexy. <laughs> it's supposed to be kind of fucked up that we're watching this and paying for this and everything. Yeah, I mean, there's such an interesting interplay with the fact that she starts as a stripper. Because that is supposed to be so erotic, right? Yeah. And people are there to see that. There's the the sensuality about it all. That's the point of it. But yet we see... And then Elizabeth Berkeley at that point, coming off of Saved by the Bell, there is supposed to be this like, oh my God, she's doing a nude scene. <laughs> like, oh, we're going to see like this person naked. Oh my God that you see it so much 
that as many reviewers have noted, <laughs> you become almost desensitized to it. Yeah. Or the eroticism melts away and you start looking at the nudity as just nothing more than part of the job. Yeah. It's no longer this sexy thing, this forbidden thing. You're not the person in the audience at the strip club. You're the person behind the scenes just getting used to all of that. I imagine that that was such a strange thing for people, especially in the 90s, when you didn't have as much access or mm. were as inundated with the amount yeah. of stuff that we now have via the internet, via social media. To have nudity and sexuality uh, neutered yeah. in that way and the fun, in quotes, taken out of it uh in order to make a point about the way in which the <laughs> entertainment industry makes it such a such a commodity and such a a transactional thing and actually takes the sensuality out of it what? we don't want intelligence in our nude movies chris uh, it's such a it, can i say it like a cool thing to do <laughs> like it's absolutely it's fascinating like from like an artistic commentary perspective. Everything that Showgirls is doing is fascinating and yet goes over the head of 99.99% of people. I'm sure there's going to be somebody being like, you think you're a genius that you get it? <laughs> Maybe a little, but at the same time, it should be obvious. Especially That's if you've seen thing. Paul Verhoeven movies. Yeah, if you've watched Total Recall, Robocop, like if you've watched a satire in your entire life and you understand that satire exists, then you should be watching this movie and going, I understand satire. This is a satire. And you can not like it in the aftermath of that. You can have Total. arguments about it after that. Is it well done satire? Eh, eh, eh. Do you like the way in which it presents satire? But don't miss the point completely, especially if it's your job. Yeah, and I feel like that's been my frustration with the movie over the years is like you have to get past like that base level before any sort of intelligent conversation can happen about this movie and the critics ensured from the get-go because they have to have a knee-jerk reaction to it and define what it is like forever defining this movie is like no like dumb crass obvious like ridiculous like it's trying to be sexy and it's not like there's a whole narrative around this movie that if that's what you think about the movie before you even watch it and you just hold on to that, like we can't have a conversation about it. Like you, we, you need to recognize like what it's doing. Look at the director and like the way he's done the movies up to this point and think about this movie in a different, and like before you can do that, you, you can't really talk about it. Right. I, this is a, uh, something to rotten tomatoes credit. The little, uh, critic consensus uh -huh. reads vile, contemptible, garish, and misogynistic. And that might just be exactly showgirl's points. <laughs> that's good. That's so that's there. a cool person running the the blurb <laughs> section at Rotten Tomatoes. Right. They 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 get it. What is the score up to at this point? Uh twenty three. I it I guarantee you is at like two percent back in the day. Uh, I mean, this was before Rotten Tomatoes. Right, of course. Existed. But I just mean like it would have been. Oh yeah. At, there is a point in time. Yeah, there, I mean, there's more positive tomatoes, though they give a, oh no, yeah, they give a tomato to Richard Corliss, who's the one 
who said like some stupid things. I didn't huh. read them out loud, but I, Rotten Tomatoes um, is weird sometimes with like I've seen critics reacting to like I don't know how a two and a half star review was like a positive one, but okay. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the case right there because he did not give a positive review. Yeah. Eh. <sighs> Man. Showgirls. I I mean the other thing, and you mentioned it, just like everybody's perfectly casted. Like everybody is doing such a dynamite job in this movie. A Elizabeth Brickley, B, I think Kyle McLaughlin is awesome in this. Like, as much as he yeah. doesn't seem to like the movie, I guess. I, I he's an awesome guy, but like I've seen interviews of him before and I feel like I guess I'm not surprised to hear him say something like that. Um like I think sometimes he's a little more focused on like his character i don't know anyway he plays a douchebag very well uh that scene where at the end where oh yeah he says he makes a phone call yeah oh yeah of course the phone call scene yeah <laughs> that's great um but at the end when he's like he's having this really dark moment where you're saying like just how shitty of a guy he is like saying like andrew Carr's gonna get away with it and he grabs oh, yeah. nomi's face and he's like oh you're a great fuck you know and nomi spits in his face which is one of my absolute favorite parts of the movie um Elizabeth Berkeley, this is a testament to her acting that she's able to hog up such a massive loogie without like going, you know, <laughs> like she just like conjures one out of her mouth and like spits it out in his face. It's incredible. But then Kyle McLaughlin going, it was a compliment. Like he says it in the most douchebag way possible. <laughs> I love it. Uh, right. With like nothing lost. Like he's yeah. he's just stating the facts. Absolutely. But he's not begging for her to come back. Yeah. Which is what a rich asshole. He doesn't need her to come back, really. So he played that very well. Um, and then yeah. Gina Gershon. Uh, I mean, it was all a build to Gina Gershon. I was going to like try to like mosey my way up to her. But Gina Gershon in this movie, it's the best acting I've ever seen. It, it, she, I, I mean, I, I'm, I don't have <laughs> words right now. Like there are no words to describe. She so perfectly inhabits Crystal Connors as the kind of like wizened figure like she's obviously supposed to be like Nomi's opposite like Nomi's looking into the future and seeing what she could become the person who came before her and trampled on everybody to get to the top um the way she's like framed in mirrors with Nomi like it's just so again it's like it's all kind of obvious and done in that sort of mythological way but so cool at the same time just because like she's owning it and like her stature and her strut you know and her all-knowingness like Gina Gershon just like she fucking knew what this character was she understood the movie completely and inhabited it in a way that's it was absolutely perfect yeah she owns the movie and it's another thing that makes me kind of think a little bit less of Black Swan <laughs> because <laughs> in Black Swan uh who's uh yeah, the Kunis? Um, no, the uh Oh no the, uh uh what's her name? I keep wanting to say it's not Rachel Weiss, it's Winona Ryder. <laughs> yeah, Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder Ryder's playing the crystal character yeah. of the the current it girl in the production before she has the she gets moved on from. So it's not quite the same in that it's not an injury that befalls her. Uh, but both do end up in the hospital at the end and have a, a visit from their replacement. Yeah. But we see how little time Black Swan actually spends developing 
Winona Ryder's character in that movie and the dynamic between Nina and her. Yeah. And what it means to be aging out of the role. We just kind of see it on the peripheral and get that it's causing a lot of stress. But the amount of time Gina Gershon has on screen to really develop what it means to be at the peak Mm. and then slowly understanding through some of the subtextual elements or references, inferences that she probably did a lot of shit to climb to where she's at. And she's also doing a lot of shit to stay where she's at Mm. and to be the goddess for as long as she has been. The fact that it's called goddess is also just (laughs) perfect. Um, But yeah, her demeanor through the entire movie is just so snaky and interesting and you never know what she's thinking, but you know exactly what she's thinking. It's such a powerhouse performance. It's, And I think my favorite part of it is the whole movie is so satiric and over the top that she's constantly inhabiting this ridiculous figure. Like it's just like, it's basically just know me from the future manifested like what can happen if someone gets so out of control and rises to the top like she's just such a ridiculous person that at the end when she's lying in the hospital bed and Nomi comes into the room like she's suddenly so human like yeah. they bring such humanism to her character and her realizing that like her time is done and she just all she wants all along is to be loved not loved by the public but like to share this moment with Nomi, to finally kiss her and connect with like a younger part of herself, you know, like the Pollyanna of her past. It's in the way Gina Gershon acts that part. Like I-, I cry every time at the end of this movie, the kiss they share, the the look on Gina Gershon's face and where she knows like this is the last time she's going to see Nomi, I, and then Nomi puts on that cowboy hat. I mean, my fucking God, this, <laughs> any of this movie. But Gina Gershon, like, it's just, it's powerhouse. Like, it, it's to have that kind of dynamic to your character and the way you act, i just blown away by it. Well, and if you're going to the broader artistic levels and some of the, the symbolism and archetypes, you have, as we said, the, the relationship between... Uh, Crystal and Nomi as kind of being one in the same, just at different stages mm. of their life. Having them have that showdown and the amount of ways you can take that, uh, what it's saying, especially if you view them as like a single person wrestling with the entertainment industry and wrestling with who they were versus who they currently are mm. and which part of them is going to win out. There's so much you can analyze from that and yeah. take from that or just the relationship between one generation of the entertainment industry and the next generation of the entertainment industry and how much it's something where you fight for your place and you fight to keep them out but you also love them yeah because they're another person who understands what it is you're doing and what it is you did and have gone through so there's this weird love and hatred cycle that goes on and the dynamic between them, you can then frame that through so many different perspectives that make this movie so fascinating to talk about and analyze and discuss and have takeaways from. It's truly a work of art 
That's fucking I, right. I need people to understand this. And you've been, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you've been on I this. I've been feeling this way for less than 24 hours. You've been feeling this way for a decade. That's why like, I always like talk about this movie. Like if someone asks me what my favorite movie is, I say Showgirls. Like, because I want to talk about it and like, like you know, you, you think you know what this movie is about, but like it actually isn't. And like, give like an interesting blurb about it you know i i just yeah and and anytime someone just had kind of has that knee-jerk like boring reaction to it and what they think it is i and that's the way they want to be it's the end of the conversation to me because like i actually want to talk about this movie how do we know how how gina gershon feels about showgirls gosh i don't know I, the, the way she's acting her ass off in it i hope she likes it <laughs> Yeah, there's only so I found like an though. an article that says Gershon says that even now, 17 years later, she's still asked about Showgirls more than anything else. But she's looking forward to her next movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean that must be part of it. Like thinking of her, Kyle McLaughlin, or God, poor Elizabeth Berkeley. Like no matter how much you see the art of this movie, like because it is what it is, like maybe it feels a little embarrassing to be a part of a movie like this and for it to have such a just bad reputation i guess not even bad but like infamous reputation kind of you know yeah oh yeah it's seeming like uh gershon didn't talk much about her film career in her book but in person she dished about all her movies she said she auditioned for showgirls which she thought would be more serious yeah like verhoven's dutch films a modern day retelling of all about eve set in las vegas for three months straight, she wore extra makeup in all of her meetings and lied that she was older to convince the studio she could handle the part of a weathered diva bitch. When she got to the set, she realized she was making a different movie from the serious drama she had imagined. I was hanging up by a rope looking down going, oh my god, I've studied the classics. I want to do Greek theater. I want to do Chekhov. What the fuck yeah. am I doing here? So I get it. it. That is funny to think about Verhoeven. Like early on, he did. Although I, I feel like Verhoeven always had a bit of like cheekiness to his movies they were a little bit more serious um and had like very like they made the seriousness of their subject matter like very clear towards something like showgirls like i don't think it's necessarily clear in the sense that like it's screaming what it's doing at you like it's 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 so satiric like it's so stylized that like you could easily just fall into like the style of it um, and then I think he found like a middle ground of his newer movies where like, you know, they're being sarcastic and winking at you the whole time yet. Like they're interesting dramas at the same time. It, it's just interesting that it, it was at this part of his career that he went just balls to the wall of the style part. Yeah. I need to watch some of the later yeah. Verhoeven things. I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen black book tricked L or oh, Benedetta. Oh, the first, all four of those movies are great. Okay. All I'm, I I remember hearing like, was it L that people were saying really good things about? Oh yeah, because Elizabeth uh, Hopper. Forgive me. She, maybe it's pronounced a different way. I know she's French and everything. Um, but I think, gosh, was she nominated for an Oscar that year? She's just got a lot of buzz that year. Yeah, that's what I feel like. I was at some yeah Academy Isabella. Awards Best Actress. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really wanted to see it at South by or Sundance or somewhere and did it get to, and then just never watched it. And then Benedetta, I feel like I heard some okay things about. Oh, I, it's awesome. It's good. Oh yeah. Okay. I love it. 
Well, then I'll have to watch all it, of these. It's definitely the most akin to like his 90s output. It's it's a very stylized, over-the-top kind of movie. Okay. Uh, oh, Gershon did say uh, when she realized it wasn't going to be a Wagner concert, but a Britney Spears show, <laughs> she thought, I'm going to camp it up and have a good time and Fuck still be yeah. good. So I knew she got it. Yeah. I saw another article that was from Gawker, so it's not available anymore. <laughs> But it was said Gina Gershon ruined Showgirls by admitting she was in on the joke. Dumb. Yeah, That's why you're not a fan I mean, anymore, Gawker. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it ruins it, but it does it it does hint at the fact that Gershon kind of understood in a way that it seems Kyle McLaughlin <laughs> did yeah. not. I guess I I God, I, I'm not trying to talk shit about Kyle McLaughlin, but I feel like early on he he was a little bit of a like he not thick-headed but he just seemed like a dude i guess (laughs) like he seemed like a dude and he just like kind of like wanted to talk about things in a more like normal like straightforward way uh which is interesting to think that he became part of like lynch's universe which is nothing like that um but i i almost feel like he maybe he saw like the characters lynch road as like being actor friendly you know like being able to like inhabit this interesting character where zach and showgirls is like he he's just such a stereotype you know like it's so ridiculous that maybe he was a little embarrassed by playing somebody like that i mean he was in twin peaks three years before show i know but but that's what i mean is like dale is like there's so many quirks to dale like it requires you to be more of an actor than something like showgirls i guess even though i don't think that's true but like just on the surface thinking of like the kind of like this kind of character existed in so many movies you know where dale cooper like you've never seen anybody like that i guess i've also never seen oh twin peaks the movie was 1992 twin peaks was 1990 yeah. i've also never watched twin peaks yeah. so it might come off as more like grounded didn't isn't it a lot more approachable in Sure, yeah. Relative to Lynch's other works. Totally. I mean, it was a huge hit on TV. I I feel like that's the only way to become a hit is to be kind of like ordinary in that way, like to feel familiar. It is just a murder mystery show. Um, But yeah, if you ever watch like a clip of Dale Cooper, he's just like this very eccentric, quirky dude who thinks all these weird things and has weird tendencies. And so I guess there might have been a little bit more of a a normalcy when watching. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what he did there oh but he was also in blue velvet i've also never seen yeah. blue velvet which blue velvet is more of a i guess that's more of a normal character so i guess i don't know what i'm trying to say about Kyle glockland i don't even know the guy so i i just think he did awesome in this movie i guess that's all i'll say yeah it's always sad when you think somebody did like an awesome job and then you're like oh it's awful or he says it's awful and you're like but eh. <laughs> yeah it really all right i hate to move this along but let's rank it okay 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 uh, I have not done this yet. I'm uh, looking at the list, but it's easy for me. Um, of our rankings, which these are the movies we're ranking all the movies we've watched since 2022. I started at the beginning of 2022. Chris started in July. My list is up to I think it's like I have to add a couple more. Like it's 485, six movies. Um, but Showgirls, we're gonna be going to the top region of this list for me. Showgirls, I have listed at the moment as my number two favorite movie. Although I've, as I've said, it is one of my number ones. Um, so the top five for my movie sandwich is enter the void showgirls, Magnolia, Mulholland drive and spirited away. 
that's a that's a pretty good top five. Yeah. Which for somebody that you know champions bad movies, your top five is <laughs> it's all good movies. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. If we looked at your top twenty-five, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure people would have some shock faces in there. I I guess so. Um. Yeah. I guess so. I, I do have Flash Gordon in there. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> it's. I guess just doesn't have a good reputation. Okay. <laughs> um. So okay, I've decided to put Showgirls at number seventeen. And okay. this is out of the 164, I guess it's 165. I've added 166. I haven't added um, Saltburn or Anatomy of a Fall yet. Ooh. Oh, okay. Um, Do you think those would go above? I think it would be close. I'd have to think about it a little bit more, but I'm okay with having Showgirls there for now. <laughs> um actually I might just have to change some of these a little bit. Um Wow, a live ranking shuffle. Yeah. Always exciting for a podcast. Yeah, that's I can only imagine what it's like for the listeners right now. Yeah, because I go I go uh colossal oh it just crashed. <laughs> I mean, the podcast is still going, but my Safari just yeah. completely crashed. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I did have 30 tabs open. That would do it. Uh, and now they're all reopening all at once. Um, I So I have colossal, amazing, impressive. You know, there's 11 yeah. tiers, I think, or 10 tiers. And I feel like I have to shuffle around my second tier a bunch but i currently have showgirls in the second tier um just because the production is so insane to me i think i might end up changing a lot of this around though so i'll give an update in the next episode but currently at number 17 and nice. that's below uh number 15 is the whaling number 16 is cloverfield and those are both in the colossal category and then Showgirls at the top of Amazing, followed by Barbarian, Donnie Darko. Barbarian, Donnie Darko, and then X. But this is going to have to shuffle around. Yeah. Man, there's so many things. Like, I guess I could have a Showgirls podcast is what I'm finding out right now. But there are just so many things I could have talked about that we didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's scenes, there's moments, there's The hilarity. moments. Like, all of the little side characters, like Tony, the guy who runs the goddess show, like, all of the little one-liners he has, where the girls, like, listen to all of her classes, and he's like, show's called goddess, not called classes, get out of here. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Just, like, little stuff like that, you're like, oh, man, that guy fucking owned that line. Yeah. Or the guy that's driving the, the pickup truck. Oh, like, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. What a character Jeff is. He's in the movie for, like, a minute, and he's incredible in it. Yeah. Who is that guy? I don't know, but he's fucking rules dewey weber gonna watch his entire filmography yeah he doesn't even have a, a wikipedia page he should i'm making it tonight <laughs> that's gonna be your assignment yeah he has an imdb page though oh he was in showgirls 2 pennies from yeah. heaven i almost mentioned that that that's one of the biggest blind spots of my movie watching careers i've never watched showgirls 2 
I mean, it seems like you need to. I know. <laughs> I might do it this week. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's anything he's been in that I have seen and not really. He didn't do much else and hasn't been in anything since Showgirls 2. All right. Well, that was Showgirls, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you go watch it now and love it. Yeah. Or at least appreciate what it's doing, even if you don't love it. (laughs) But try to love it. You better. All right, Chris. What's our next movie? Uh, Robocop. (laughs) We're doing back-to-back for Hoven. Yeah. I love it. I I mean, I love Robocop, so. I got the 4K, so. (gasps) Oh. Yeah. I will also be watching my 4K. Beautiful. Let's do it. Okay. Chris, we're at the end here. Yeah. You you alluded to this. I don't know if it was caught on the air or not, but you think I'm purposely messing up the end. <laughs> yes. I'm not. And, I, I, and, and that made me, in turn, made me wonder, like, oh, is Chris doing a bit? And he's been the one ruining it. <laughs> Sounds like something you would say if you were doing a bit. So you, from what I gather, you think I take too long to say see ya at the end. Is this correct? Yeah. The rhythm should be Even though I think I always say it before you. It should be lights, camera, see ya. But it's always lights, camera, see ya. (laughs) So that makes me wonder, you're waiting for me to say it until you say it. No, I just, the first time, the first few times... You're going lights, camera, and then I'd start saying see ya and you wouldn't and you'd come in when I'm like after All saying right. see. So I've been delaying trying to catch when you would go. All right. See, this is the problem. You were trying to anticipate my move. Just go with what feels right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So we ready? Yeah, we're ready. Yeah. Everyone's, as I said, we told <laughs> the audience to be quiet at the beginning. So everyone's wrapped the potential right now. Nobody's saying anything. Are you ready? Here we um, go. Yeah. Lights. Camera. See ya. See ya. See ya. I, I said it before you. I said it before you. Yeah. And on my end, I heard it after. And maybe there's some weird delay going on whenever we do this part of the show. <laughs> it's just, you're a monster. Yeah.